Disclosure, the information in this podcast is educational and general in nature and does not take into consideration the listener's personal circumstances. Therefore, any and all information presented in this podcast is not intended to be a substitute for specific individualized financial, legal, or tax advice. To determine which strategies or investments may be suitable for you, consult the appropriate qualified professional prior to making any decision. What's up, everyone? It is Ben. Got another great episode for you here with Mike Klein. He is a digital assets hedge fund manager with a background in venture capital. He's based out of Denver. Had a great conversation with him, so we will jump into it. Thanks. And we're live. Hello, Mike. Hello, Ben. What's up, dude? How how goes it? It's good, man. It's a good Thursday here. A little cloudy in Denver, but um, warm. Nice, nice, yeah. Colorado, uh, you never really know what the weather's going to be like. It, it literally changes every fifteen minutes. So, well, especially in April and May, it's like it's oh, yeah. kind of a joke that you know Colorado has two weeks of spring, mm-hmm. um, and it's kind of true, right? It goes from thirty degrees to you get a you know maybe a couple weeks of like this nice seventy degree weather, and then some it's you know ninety degrees, and then you got to go to the mountain to escape the heat. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I, I went to see you. I think maybe I mentioned that to you, but, um, I went back for a buddy's graduation the year after I graduated for spring yeah. graduation. I flew in, uh, it was snowing. Like there was like a couple inches of snow on the ground. Next day it was 75. So yeah, <laughs> very, very classic Colorado. Yeah, for sure. Um, well, cool. Let's uh, let's maybe just start with a little bit about you know who you are, your background, and then we'll just kind of jump into it and see where we go. Yeah, sure. So um, my name is Mike Klein. My background yeah. is um, you know um, I spent about ten years in venture capital, both early and late stage firms. Um, kind of worked up my way up the ranks. Went from you know joining kind of like as an analyst to getting all the way to you know junior partner, where I was sitting on a lot of boards, negotiating mergers and acquisitions and and leading rounds. And I got exposed to the crypto space in 2016. Was really fascinated with the space. Um, wanted some diversification, saw a lot going on with the ICO craze and with you know Ethereum being this new platform where projects and tokens could launch. I basically yeah. looked at it as an extension of venture capital, right? They're all early stage technology companies. You're investing sure. based on what they're going to do, not really as much on what they have done. Um, and to be honest, I really couldn't find anybody that I thought, you know, there were a lot of people in the space that were smart, that were managing capital and I didn't talk to everybody. So this is an exclusive, but within the people that I, you know, kind of connected with, it was, okay, you're smart, you know, what's going on in the space, but do you have a macro thesis you're investing against? Do you have good risk management practices? Do you have good feel for portfolio management and allocation balances and balancing and, you know, overall, I I really didn't meet anybody that met that. So it was kind of, okay, well, I'm either going to dive in and really become educated and prolific in the space and participate, or I'm going to sit on the sidelines because I don't like to get involved in anything directly that um, I'm not going to set aside the time to really work towards becoming an expert at. So I did that, dove in, um, did really well, um, you know, was there when DeFi blossomed, was there through the the bear market crash of 2018, 2019, um, you know, which I think is a pretty common story among people that have been in the space. Yeah. Um, they have to kind of, they get in because there's excitement 
And then when the prices drop, they have to ask themselves, why am I actually in this? And sure. sort of develop yeah. a thesis and a yeah. fundamental understanding yeah. of the space, what's going on, right? It's yeah. pretty, pretty common. Yeah. So I did that um, and I did really well. And, um, you know, lately, you know, as of the last year, year and a half with the with the 21 bull run, um, I had a lot of friends, family members, business partners, people that I'd worked with in the past, especially other venture capital firms and other private equity um, firms that were like, hey, I want to I want to get exposure to this space. I don't know what I'm doing. So they were basically me in 2016. Yeah. And it was basically the conversation of which where can you refer me to? Like, what what funds can you send me to? And I was like, well, that's a really good idea. Let me let me go do my research. And unfortunately, this was, you know, b- before all the uh, three arrows and FTX blow ups. And sure. what I basically found was, Ben, is the problems were the same, right? There was there's not very good risk management practices. I wasn't I wasn't meeting a lot of managers that blew my socks off. So I ended up launching a fund um, called Crypto Bull Capital to basically give people um, access and diversification in the space Mm -hmm. um, at the same level that somebody that's in it full-time that wants to participate in all the innovation happening in the Web3 sector and digital asset sector um, without having to become the expert and pay for those expensive mistakes that can happen. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Well, there's there's definitely a lot to unpack there. So like, I guess maybe... One thing you kind of, one thing you said that I was curious about is uh, just you weren't meeting people that kind of you know hit the level of risk management and process and et cetera et cetera that you uh, personally were looking for. What what exactly are you looking for? So if somebody's kind of listening to this, trying to evaluate, you know, as a professional, right? Like yeah. how I look at the space. Like what are some of the things that you really hone in on when evaluating a manager? Yeah, so I'm very like fundamentals driven, right? So, you know, I think being in venture capital helps shape this because venture capital, you're essentially investing in the future, right? Sure. What is the future going to look like? Yeah. Um, what are sectors that are going to be disrupted? When are they going to be disrupted? And, and who are who's positioned to be the market leaders or to take advantage of that market disruption mm-hmm. and basically generate a lot of money and wealth mm-hmm. for everyone? Sure. And... The interesting thing about venture capital, right, is it's illiquid, meaning, you know, you invest in a fund, you're in for 10 years, you invest in a company, you're in for five, seven years often, and you're kind of along for the ride. So you really have to be disciplined in one, your macro thesis of where's the world going to look, and then also doing your diligence of the specific companies that you choose to invest in, because there's no undoing that decision. Right. And I mean, in stocks, that's different. And in crypto, that's different in the sense of you can choose to buy or sell a position, you know, in Microsoft or Ethereum or Bitcoin any day. And so, you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of um, principles that come to that where I think, what is the world going to look like in five to 10 years? And how are digital assets and cryptocurrencies going to potentially um, make that world a better place. And I invest accordingly. And what I found, you know, to your, to answer your question that was going on is there was just a lot of speculation and there was a lot of focus on short-term price movements, which, you know, the data shown is, is very, very, very hard to do. Um, obviously we hear about people all the time that get lucky and do it, but often if you follow those stories for a long time, 
um, the opposite. Do it again, I, yeah. I remember like listening to a podcast of an interview of the Do- uh, a Dogecoin, you know, millionaire. And Dogecoin is this obscure meme coin. There's actually been a recent one we can talk about called Pepe Coin. But <laughs> the idea is basically just like, let's get rich. So it's kind of like a lottery. And, you know, this has been done with penny stocks, right? And it was yeah. probably done with other types of investments along the way. But, you know, humans... They want to get rich and they want to get rich as fast as possible. And that's just kind of the nature of, of, hum- of humans. So, yeah. you know, this uh, this Dogecoin person put, you know, five, ten thousand dollars in this coin. It became worth three or four million dollars. And they they interviewed him and he's like, yeah, like I'm not selling. That's how I got here. And this is the best thing ever. But he really didn't have any fundamental reason why he <clears throat> had invested in this token right to begin with yeah and so you know they interviewed him a year later and i think he was now worth you know from three million yeah. to, i don't know the number yeah. Like <laughs> yeah yeah hundred thousand now yeah of course it's the worst thing that ever happened and yeah. i find that the that you know the thing that's lacking the most in investments in general is that macro thesis and why that's so important to have is at least you understand what went wrong or you know when you're feeling emotional the markets are down or the markets are up you at least have something to go back on so you know an example i give is you know if you say if i said ben you know do you think electric energy and alternative energy is going to be more prolific or less prolific in 30 years Mm -hmm. and you would say i mean politics is (laughs) this is a loaded question to me um (laughs) Politics is trending that way. Sure. Yeah. Electricity will be more prevalent. Um, do I necessarily think that it's the solution? I, I'm not sure. To be right. Clear. So, so great example. So so you don't know. But the beauty yeah. is if you if you if you were forming your investment thesis and you did know, you'd say, I do think that. And then you'd look yeah. around and say, OK, who do I think are the companies positioned best to take advantage of that? And you might say, mm-hmm. well, Tesla is an obvious one. Sure. Yeah. And you'd say, okay, why do I like Tesla? Well, I think Elon Musk is an innovative and visionary leader. I think they have strong market position, all these other things. And the beauty of doing that is when you're wondering, should I sell my Tesla stock based on the fact that it's just gone up a lot, you revisit your thesis and you say, okay, has any of these things changed? And if none sure. of them has changed, you shouldn't change your position. If something has changed, well, now you have to go revisit your thesis. And that's kind of, I think, the best way to approach investing in general. And crypto gets a lot of um, excitement because it's a very volatile asset class. People accumulate book value of wealth very quickly. Mm-hmm. They can they can lose it also. Lose it very quickly. <laughs> right. But the point yeah. is, is it's not realized. And the point is, if you if you're in an asset or a token, whatever that is, for a reason, and that is a long-term reason that is sound and has logic to you or to a manager, then you're just following that thesis. And that thesis will change and therefore your positions may change. But fundamentally, it's 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 something that is you can duplicate it, you can scale it, and it's a structure. And I didn't see that a lot in the space. I saw a lot of, you know, Hey, I heard from so and so they're going to launch this, and therefore yeah. the token's going to go way up, right? You've seen this, or there's definitely a little nepotism in terms of that, like get rich quick, like work connected insiders pumping them. That, right. that is a part of it. Yeah, exactly. And yeah. and you know that's not an to me that's not an investable strategy. That's not investable. Oh, no. <laughs> no. That's that's, that's, <laughs> that's gambling. That's speculating. That's having fun. 
Yeah. And that's great, but that's not like a vehicle or a strategy that I would put somebody, you know, that I'm friends with, such as yourself or yeah. a family member. I mean, kind of the the litmus test for me is like, would I put my mom in this fund, right? Yeah. Like, would I put my parents in this fund? And that's yeah. sort of always been the way that I've thought about assessing fund managers and how I've thought about investing in general. Well, I think that's uh, a real good point too from my background is on the wealth management side, like there are a ton of financial advisors who would love to, you know, allocate more efficiently to just crypto in general, but, you know, for there's regulatory reasons and all that sort of stuff, but just um, the fiduciary aspect of deploying capital for people. um, I think you're totally right that, you know, you, you need process in place. Like you need, it needs to be replicated. Like you need to have a buy discipline. You need to have a sell discipline, probably more importantly. Right. Like, um, and at least from where I sit as, and more, I mean, I'm an observer, right. Compared to you, I'm not in it every day, but the thing that comes across my desk oftentimes is you see a lot of get rich quick, you know, technical trading meme stock meme coin type stuff. And, you know, I, I think there's definitely a spot, particularly for the industry to grow for, you know, the more value driven, you know, actual investor rather than trader type mentality. So it's cool that that's how you kind of approach the world. Yeah, we think buy and hold, you know, we will allocate into new positions as our thesis changes. Um, so, you know, as we see a, a new sector emerge that has promise in space or a new type of you know, service or solution, and and we'll divest if we think that a sector is losing traction, or the technology is no longer relevant, or you know, the the token is management of the treasury, the DAO, and the project has has shown that they're they're not delivering according to what they projected, and there seems to be a slowdown there. But mm-hmm. we're not going to do it just because the price is down. We're not going to just do it because the price is high. Or because there's a lot of noise on social media about something. Mm-hmm. So when you are evaluating, so just say some new position, whatever it is, um, how, what what is your sort of everyone throws around due diligence? Do your research. I, I kind of find that um, patronizing, to be totally honest. Um, but I'm always curious, like if you want, if you are evaluating a position, how do you actually go about that? Like. Um, like, would you like call the management team and try and get meetings if you can? Like, if you're placing serious money with them, like, at what what level of diligence are we talking about here? Yeah, so it's interesting, right? I mean, as I mentioned, ventures, you know, where I kind of cut my teeth and developed kind of how I the thesis and the core of how I invest. And as I mentioned, diligence is absolutely paramount in venture yeah. capital, for sure, because you can't change your mind. Yeah. Um, the fascinating thing about crypto that that most people don't realize is, you know, when you do diligence as a VC on a company, you are asking them for information. So the process is, you know, you meet an entrepreneur, they kind of present uh, what's called a pitch deck. It's like a high level. What are we doing? Um, and it kind of covers. There's like some basic information it covers. Like, why is this an exciting opportunity? Why? this a, a big market opportunity and usually it's comes down to why is this you know going to be the next potentially billion dollar company what's what's all the ingredients that that make it that yeah and then you uh, and then you ask for information and you comb through that information and you know that's provided in the data room and it's based on them providing it 
Mm-hmm. There's not a, a really easy way off in an early stage to to make sure that the information is like there's, valid. Like there's a big trust element for sure. Right. They're not doing audits. Now, late stage yeah. is different, which I also did late stage venture yeah. where you're you're more assessing what is, but the information is provided to you. And what most people realize about crypto that's so exciting is a lot of these on-chain projects, everything is there if you know where to look, how mm. much money the company has um, in the treasury, um, where that treasury is distributing funds, um, you know, what is the vesting schedule for the founders, right? So, you know, in the ICO craze in 2017, we had this big problem where companies would essentially raise their like what they would raise over 10 years as a startup um, in venture capital, they would raise it all up front. So they yeah. raise a hundred million, Ben. So me and you could raise a, you know, hundred million dollars up front. And guess what? Best no immediately. <laughs> yeah. There was no yeah. board. There was no oversight. And so immediately you and me could just write ourselves $50 million checks each because we'd split it down the middle because we're, we're fair guys like that. And <laughs> we would go off and have a nice life. And, yeah. you know, one, two years later, everybody would say, wait a minute, what happened to that project? There was a bunch of money and never build anything. Yeah. And what's interesting is the space has really evolved to not only where there is, you know, vesting schedules that are set, um, that, that, you know, they're set by code. So crypto yeah, is all about, yeah. you don't have to trust someone's going to do something. The code will only allow them to do it. So yeah. you know, things like when are the tokens going to vest? Um, and then you can look at all their, um, performance and operational metrics. So Mm. it's like, you know, we can look into like Apple and we can see what they report from a financial perspective, but we don't get access to the proprietary data of, you know, what are the demographics that the app store is attracting the most and what is the value based on the segmentation and how many new users are entering the Apple, you know, maybe app store ecosystem versus legal. But you can see all that on chain. So you can look at a project that has a lot of hype and you can see that, you know, there's tons of these that happened in 21 where, you know, there were all these users that joined and then suddenly they just dropped off a cliff. And the only people still using the platform are kind of these um, old school users that basically they, they, they bought assets maybe within that ecosystem and they're just incentivized to keep it running so they can hope to get their money out. But there's yeah. no new... There's no new acquisition of new users. And you can get that kind of performance data very, very quickly if you know how to look. So the ability to do robust due diligence is actually super enhanced um, in digital assets in the crypto ecosystem. So you're able to see um, all sorts of data. Is that only like when... Are you only looking at projects that have that level of transparency? Are you looking at things that are a little maybe more centralized and do have sort of an iron curtain? Yeah, we're only we're really only look at. I mean, anything on chain is going to have that level of transparency. Um, you know, the data is there. That's the beauty of blockchain is it's super transparent. And like you know, if we're if we're analyzing, you know, if we say we want to be in a a slew of L ones, which are layer one solutions like Ethereum, and then we would yeah. say, okay, you know, we feel like a decentralized exchange is a must have for any, you know, L1 ecosystem, right? Every L1 ecosystem kind of has their own market leaders for decentralized exchanges. Sure. We can compare all the decentralized exchanges and look at who's doing the most volume. Um, we can look at their tokenomics as well. There's a variety of factors that you need to look at, right? Like how often is the team posting? You can look at how many developers each ecosystem has in it. 
um, how many developers did it have last month versus this month and last year versus this year and how active are they? And you can splice up the data in a lot of different ways, but ultimately you're just getting access to this thing, the things that you would look at if you were making a private equity or a private investment in a in a similar type company. And I tell everyone, you know, crypto is venture capital 2.0. It's these are early stage technology companies um, that are building towards a future, and that's where the real value is going to be realized. We're still very early, yeah. just because you can buy and sell it. I think that actually just adds a complexity from an investor perspective where you can panic easily and sell. Sure. You know, and you can um panic buy as 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 well into something. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's really to me the same thing. It's why I felt so at home in crypto, especially once you know the ICO started happening and all these other tokens started launching on top. Cause like, okay, these are these are startups, right? These are just yeah. startups solving problems. They're solving problems within the crypto ecosystem. Some of them are solving problems in, you know, industries that need to be disrupted, like, you know, banking, logistics, supply chain, mm-hmm. healthcare. Yeah. And it's the same kind of homework to figure out which one's invested. Sure. Okay. Um and there's just like so many, like, as I'm think, listening to you, I'm just thinking of things. And then I keep listening and I forget the last one for a new one. One thing I was curious about, so we kind of touched on this. Um, you, you now know my buddy Jay, you guys launched funds together, similar comparable times, I guess. How, yeah. has, how has the whole uh, standup of the fund been the last couple of years? Like, what has that experience been like? Yeah, I, I think in general, right? You know Warren Buffett um, is is I, I follow a lot of his principles, and price really shouldn't matter too much. It should be what you're investing in, and you know what you see in every bull market in crypto because because there's so there's so much new wealth that's generated and excitement is that everybody feels like they're missing out that's not in the asset class, and they mm-hmm. want in when prices are high, and that's what kind of creates these these mini bubbles is that, you know, everyone is saying, I want in, I want in, and they're liquid. And so people can buy with the touch of a button. They can buy, they can wake up at 2 a.m. and say, why don't I own any Bitcoin? And they can buy as much as they want. (laughs) Right. And so, you know, in bear markets, it's the opposite. And crypto has kind of gone through this. I think there's been over 150 times that, you know, Bitcoin has died. Quote unquote. Yeah, 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 yeah. And it's interesting because you know you see in stock markets there are always these doom, doomsday naysayers, right? Like you're familiar with this. Like there's, there's always gonna be that seller. big crash. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's going to be eighty percent of your value. And I, I mean, I have a family member that um, has been avoiding the next market crash since t- two thousand nine. And um, yeah, I mean, I, I I empathize with that <laughs> to a degree, um, like. It, it, oh, yeah, there's a million things unpacked there, so I'll let you finish. But well, yeah, let's unpack them. So I mean, <laughs> so look, the point is not to be emotionally driven, and the point is to once again have that investment thesis. And if your investment thesis is I should have some of my money in this this digital asset sector because it's an exciting sector, it's had really high performance. If you look, you know, if you zoom out. Um, past the you know the valleys and the and the peaks um and if you say i want allocation of that asset class you should be delighted that the price has gone lower because mm-hmm. you buy in the same thing and this is kind of you know warren buffett mentality which is 
once I own it, I really don't care too much what happens with the price on a short-term basis. Yeah, you got to realize the loss. The reason that I own it isn't going to change, right? And Mm -hmm. and that's kind of what allows me to be price agnostic to some degree. Mm -hmm. And that is the simplest thing to say. It's one of the hardest things to do, which is true of a lot of things in life, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, It's like, you know, you want to get really good at something, put 10,000 hours into it. Yeah. Right. And it's like, that's really simple. It's also really hard. And it's really hard when you see an asset dropping and you, you see a lot of doom and gloom. It's really hard to, to actually pull the trigger and buy. But of course, we know that's the best time to buy. Um, but it's the same with stocks. When the stock market's going down, nobody wants to buy. And yeah. when the stock market is going up, Everyone wants to buy. And, you know, I there's so many people that I talked to that wanted to buy Bitcoin at 50,000, but didn't want to buy it at, you know, 18,000. Yeah. <laughs> um, and that's just the truth. Uh, humans are very emotional creatures and they kind of assess how they feel in the moment to make decisions. And, you know, there's been way brighter minds than me that have written about this, but obviously the short is, is that's not good. That's not a winning strategy. And for most people, that are susceptible to that, it's better to work with professionals that um, have built systems that make them less susceptible to those emotions and um, being hurt by, you know, betting against the market in illogical ways. Yeah. You know, one of the little, I guess, axioms I've heard over the years in wealth management, just like in a sales capacity, talking to clients, why I work with an advisor is, um, you know, your money's like soap. The more you touch it, the less you have. Mm. And for a lot of people, like that is definitely true. Kind of bop around between what's hot and what's not. And then, um, you know, most people are definitely not professional money managers looking at valuation and volume and, you know, all these, you know, data points to hit their entries and exits and people can make mistakes. Um, so, yeah, I mean, from where I said the... The working with a professional thing for the vast majority of people is, I would argue, almost worth almost any fee that you're going to pay, provided it's not egregious. So, like, if you're in a hedge fund, the two and twenty probably makes sense if the performance is there, right? If you're an advisor charging one percent, you know, these days everyone is super fee conscious and trying to drive to zero. But compared to you know working with an advisor or just you know, doing nothing or messing it up yourself. Like I would argue for most people, almost any fee provided it's reasonable is still going to get them greater value than they can do on their own. So. Yeah. I mean, I agree. And, you know, I, I practice this myself. I, I think a good discipline in life is to recognize, you know, what's your lane and that lane can expand. But, you know, as I mentioned, I'm somebody that if I say I'm going to get into something and own it myself, that means I'm signing up for a lot of work and yeah. a lot of time spent. And most people just, this is how like, you know, ultra wealthy families think of it is if I want to be in an asset class, especially if it's like five, 10% of my net worth, I'm going to get an expert that is in that all day, every day and lives and breathes that to do the work for me. And a really basic analogy I used with one of my friends is um, you know, a lot of funds, including ours, takes 20% carry. And what that means is um we get, you know, 20% of the profit. So not yeah. of the management, but of the profit. 
Yep. And I say, if Michael Jordan is prime, knocked on your door and said, hey, I'm going to go around and, you know, I can play people one-on-one in any basketball court. And I think I can make a lot of money. And it was like, well, you can do that. Or Michael Jordan knocks on your door and says, hey, I'll do that for you. But I'm, but of the games we win, I'm going to take 20% of the winnings. Yeah. You would sign up for that all day, right? Yeah. It'd, it'd be a no-brainer. Yeah, and yeah. Um, I think like that is with good managers, that's the level of expertise you're getting. And so, you know, I think no matter what asset class you're looking to expand your portfolio into, you can maybe own one, but but really understand that you, you know, really make sure you know what it takes to do it at a professional level and what you're signing up for, right? You see people all the time say, I'm gonna get in real estate. And what do they do? They like buy a house, they think it's gonna be easy. And then six months later, they're always complaining. There's, man, there's just all these things. The pain in the ass. <laughs> yeah, it's just a pain in the ass. I never do it again. And I wish somebody could just do this for me. And I really yeah. just, you know, I thought I was doing what I'm supposed to be doing. And the, the the point is, is well, I think from a diversification perspective, that was great. But I think what you really wanted to do was be a passive participant. Um, yeah. Have be kind of your um, your Michael Jordan, if you will. Yeah, I I, I love that. Like... Wealth management, particularly over the last five, over the course of my career, I guess, has gotten incredibly fee conscious. And, you know, for the right reasons, right? Like the fact is that like a 1% fee incentivizes, you know, actual advisors to go after big money and, you know, people with lots of money have lots of resources. You know, they have tons of options for help. Whereas like, you know, that fee structure doesn't work if you've only got a hundred bucks to invest a month, right? No advisor is going to take the risk of advising you uh, for that. So, you know, I understand the fee compression thing, but it, it gets to a point where the focus shouldn't be on the fees, but more on the result, right? And that's, I mean, for financial planning, wealth management, whatever you want to call it, like that's really hard to do when you're starting today and you're supposed to trust somebody for 40 years to get to some point down the road. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I don't know where I'm going with that, but that's just kind of the, the fee compression argument is kind of just, I, I don't know. It, it's tiring, I guess. Like if, if you're worth something, charge your value. If not, people can go find a cheaper option. Yeah. And I'll, I'll tell you what, this is true. Most things in life, it's the cheaper option you almost always regret. Yeah. Right. Whether it's lawyers, accounts, um, you know, wealth managers, like sure. service providers, the people you hire for your business. Um, you know, everybody wants A performers. And just understand that, you know, A performers get rewarded well because that's what drives them. Yeah. And embrace that. Be glad that there's a structure. I mean, that's kind of the fundamental base of capitalism be glad there's a structure that rewards people that perform really well so you get high performers yeah because otherwise there wouldn't be any high performers because they wouldn't be motivated to be a high performer and yeah. so i think instead of you know people look at that the the back the backwards way but you know when you talk to the the wiser person in any field that's tried a lot of things they'll always tell you find the best people and pay them well um, yeah. It's pretty much universal across the board that the cheaper option um, was never worth it. That it yeah. cost them way more than 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 yeah. the margin they saved. Yeah, yeah. Um, in the spirit of being like an A performer, how do, how do you personally stay there? Like, what is I guess your routine to you know excel? You know, as a professional, as a manager, but then I guess maybe also personally too. 
Yeah, great question. So, I mean, I um I've become really intentful about that. So, you know, I actually have a podcast, the Wealth Legacy Podcast, where we interview other managers, and that keeps me just surrounded by other A performers and keeping me in touch with what other managers are doing. Ben, you introduced me a great friend of yours just that I talked to recently, and it's surrounding yeah. myself with people like that. Um, you know. And and not necessarily set an agenda, but just staying in touch regularly and sharing concepts, ideas, learnings. Yep. That is really helpful. Um, another thing that I do is I teach legacy company executives. So think banks, financial institutions, mm-hmm. um, even even like, you know, old school healthcare, insurance, real estate mm-hmm. businesses. I teach their executives about Web3 and the emerging technology. And that allows me not only to get really insightful um, feedback from them on which tokens, aka vendors, they're gravitating towards, sure, and if traction's real or not, but it really also I have to stay on top of my game because, like anything, it's often the simplest questions that that, that trip you up. Um, and so, like being having to actually teach something, I think yeah. I yeah. it's funny. I have people all the time call me. And they're always apologetic, right? They're like, I'm sorry to waste your time. I'm sure you get asked these questions all the time about crypto. And I'm like, no, you don't understand. I love this. Thank you for calling me up because I am better after each one of those calls. Sure. I'm more on top of my game. Sure. And so working with these executives, I'm able to kind of, you know, utilize that, flex that muscle. I'm also able to use that insights for, for the fund. Um, and it also helps me share those insights with crypto projects and help me brainstorm with their teams because you know everybody wants to get institutional adoption and everybody's having a hard time kind of um, crossing the pond and figuring out okay how do we take what we've built and you know develop specific solutions for specific industries that that really yeah. takes the technology mainstream. Yeah, you know that's. I love what you said there about the coaching that you do for, you know, air quotes, legacy industries, because in my experience, like the industry I know is wealth management. The only reason I know as much as I know about it is because I've been in it for 10 years. Right. Yeah. And to me, it seems like, you know, understanding these executives, what they do every day, where their pain points are, you know, do other executives have these same pain points? Like that to me is really where I, would see a lot of real validation around, you know, a potential, you know, like you said, vendor in crypto being a solution for a legacy problem. Um, that to me just makes all the sense in the world because you're validating the pain point with, you know, the client, you're confirming the solution for the vendor, like, and then, you know, you're also figuring out for yourself, like this is probably a position to zero in on and do some more diligence around like that. Yeah. And even sector, right? So, I mean, you know, you see crypto solutions, you've seen crypto solutions in, in real estate since 2017. And a lot of those projects, you know, they listed and their token hasn't performed well because they weren't able to get past just very basic pilots or get traction in the industry. And mm-hmm. um, you've seen this in healthcare. And what's going on? Well, I mean, there's a lot to unpack there. Usually it's, you know, the executives don't know enough to make a purchasing decision. Yeah. So they don't understand the technology well enough for the options mm-hmm. available. And they don't want to be educated by the vendor. Hence, they would like to oh, be yeah. by a third party, um, which is where I'm able to come and, and, and kind of help out. 
Um, but but you know, also crypto's built a lot of infrastructure um and a really, really amazing use cases within crypto. Mm-hmm. But you know, sp- specific solutions have to be built for industries outside and they need that feedback the insights of the companies in order to do that and that's that's very hard to do often especially when you have a group that's so uneducated you know with the technology i mean a lot of these executives don't even know there's more than bitcoin um you can make the same argument though you can make the same argument though with like the technology side too like you know the knock against technologists is that very big on uh you know features right here's yeah. what the tech does but for the business owner i don't really give a shit what it does what does it do for me and exactly. like that chasm seems to be at odds right what hence no you're and sales people so <laughs> so inside i mean i was just at consensus two weeks ago yeah um, and or maybe it was last week it was, it was just it was just happened and yeah, yeah yeah you know i was talking with a bunch of vendors and they're all good people. And they're like, we'll build anything. We just need to know what to build. And I'm walking around the conference hall. And it's massive, right? There's just mass. It's a massive conference, like yeah. 30,000 people or something. And I see all these signs that say, you know, you know, faster transaction speeds or, you know, staking or validation yeah. or yeah, custody. Yeah. And it's like, hey, what these signs should really say is increase revenue. Yeah expenses yeah right like that's what business leaders are looking for they're looking for a a business outcome and you get really good at this in venture capital because there's kind of a lean startup playbook which is before you build any product the first thing you do is you interview like 50 to 100 customers and they will tell you what the product needs to be and inevitably the companies that get in a lot of trouble is they build the product first and then they try to go find a company or sector that wants it and crypto is kind of in this hybrid where it had to build the infrastructure to be able to build anything on top of it. But now these teams are like, okay, in order for us to monetize, we need to now go get the product data, those, those yeah. customer interviews. Yeah. And we need to get those customer interviews and we need to then use that data to build the products that they would buy. Yeah. And it's hard for those two groups to mix because... Yeah. As you mentioned, you have technologists that are so deep in the technology, they don't even realize how deep they are. And then you have legacy executives that think they have a grasp on the technology, but they're, they really have just scratched the surface. Yeah. And of course, when you're running a business and you have a board oversight, often it's easy just to not do anything, right? It's the same. Oh, yeah. Thing. I mean, in my enterprise sales career, you run across that all the time, right? Right. Like you, Perfect. Might, you, might, you might be a new vendor, you might have something cool, but all your big enterprise deals, it, it costs them more to make a mistake than to onboard a new solution, which is why you never see them do it until, you know, there's been enough validation from comparable clients to have them actually try it. No one wants to be first because right. if they're first and they fuck up, one, you know, they wasted a bunch of time, two, they wasted a bunch of money, and three, clients are probably upset somewhere in that situation. So, um, right. And my message has been to executives, Ben, is look, whether you do something in Web3 or not is fine. But to kind of going back into our thesis point about investing, but to tell your board you're not doing something in Web3 because you don't understand it or know anything about it is probably not a good answer. It's, yeah. pro- it's, it's okay to say we're not doing something. This is why. 
and it's an educated why, or we are doing something, maybe we start with a pilot, we're going to investigate it. And even if it, you do something in the space and, and you decide to abandon it, at least you can revisit, well, we had a thesis of why we were doing it. And so sure. it was a good investment to explore it. But what you see a lot of executives doing right now is because they don't understand it and they don't have anyone on their team that has the expertise because it's very hard to attract Web3 savvy people back over to Web2 companies mm-hmm. is they're just doing nothing because they don't understand. It. And it's like, well, that's kind of the ostrich putting its head in the ground and hoping it doesn't get eaten. It's not yeah. a good strategy when you're yeah. a business that's constantly seeking to not be disruptive and stay competitive. Sure. Do uh, do you provide, I guess, or do you consult, I guess, much on this type of thing about ways to approach specific business problems and sort of... Yeah, it, it started people? to really ramp up. I got pulled into it yeah. um, and, and I really enjoyed it. I mean, I embraced it, like I said, because it just makes me, like you, you, know, you asked, it makes me stay, it helps me stay on top of my game. Sure, and it it actually gives me like, you know, I'm interacting with different businesses and different crypto teams versus just being at my computer all day looking at analytics, and it's really rewarding for me for a lot of reasons. I'm passionate about the space and helping educate people at the space. I'm not super defensive on you have to use it or you, or you have to be in it, um, but I'm more of let's convert your unknown unknowns to known unknowns. And then let's make strategic informed decisions based on that. And it's been really rewarding. And then obviously very beneficial from an investing perspective as well. Yeah. I was going to say you're, you know, (laughs) you're, you're grooming your, you know, I guess, uh, consulting clients to be investor clients throughout that entire process, right? When they are ready to finally commit some slug of money and they're like, well, Mike's been helping me learn this for five years. Why don't I just go with Mike? Yeah. I mean, not a bad strategy, right? Like why not the person that taught you about the tech, why not invest with them? Um, And I'm okay if it, I, I benefit regardless. That's an additional benefit. And I think like our fund offers, you know, one of the best um, risk reward balanced strategies out there for exposure to the space. So it's also Mm -hmm. like, if you want exposure to the space, you personally as an executive or, you know, the company wants to allocate something, um, all I want people to know is that there's a real high quality option. Once again, yeah. I, I'm not a big push person. I'm just, you know, there's a million ways that you can go wrong investing in this space, particularly. Um, you know, if you send, I was telling my mom this, mom, if you send Bitcoin to an Ethereum address, you can't ask for a manager, right? There's no, let me talk to a manager to reverse this transaction. Yeah, yeah. It's it's gone. So, you know, cryptos in this space right now as an industry where there's tremendous amount of wealth generation and upside to be had, but the user experience has a lot of like, um, we'll call it risks in it um, where you can easily mess up and not be able to reverse something. And people really aren't used to that, right? People are used to like, no, it's going to wire the wrong place. I can, I can call the bank. I, you know, I I do something weird with my brokerage stock account. I can call my broker stock account or, and I can kind of undo it. Um, But in crypto, like that just isn't true today. And I don't want to scare people from the space. I just want to say you really need to know what you're doing um, to, to be investing. Yeah. And, and I think that's one thing that the industry has done really well the last several years is you go to like Coinbase or you go to Consensus or you go to any of these um, you know, products or platforms. They all have like academies to learn literally as much as you want yeah. about what is a wallet. 
you know, what's a DEX, what's a million other things. Um, but there's no substitute for actually doing it yourself and sending some Bitcoin to a friend's wallet. Right? So I've done these retreats where yeah. executives will fly in and we did one in New Orleans where um, a, a bunch of actually credit unions sent their executive team. Oh, okay, cool. And, um, you know, we're very, it's very hands-on, right? I designed, I designed the whole educational course and we cover a lot. And it's incredible because there's actually a lot of people in digital assets that don't understand the fundamentals and they very quickly learn the more complicated stuff, but they're unable to revisit the fundamentals. And so we really focus on the fundamentals. And it's amazing, Ben, to see, you know, banking executives where, you know, you're you're sending money somewhere, like we do a transaction on a layer two and together. And it was like, wait, that cost like a penny and happened in, you know, 30 seconds. That's yeah. that's a wire. That's three days and a hundred dollar fee yeah, and they get it immediately. Like there's, yeah. like you said, there's no substitute for actually using the technology. And then you yeah. just it clicks. You're like, Oh, yeah. I can send my money anytime, anywhere and get it immediately for almost no cost. Yeah. That, uh, I had a real life, one of those a couple of years ago, one of my good friends from college is uh, from Brazil. He lives in Rio. Yeah. My wife and I got married, uh, announced the engagement and all that. And he wanted to send us some money. And, you know, uh, obviously we have different banking systems, right? So I was like, well, that's, we're not doing that. And I was like, just send it. Here's my Coinbase wallet. And he sent it. And, you know, a couple of minutes later, his fund, the fund showed up and we're like, great, this is super easy. Like just right. went on that entire thing. Like, um, yeah, I feel like technology is always, it's, um, you know, I can't believe we did it that way, but you yeah. know, whatever we're saying that about, people are going to say that about how we do things today, right? That's for that's sure. Yeah. The, the irony is, um, you know, everybody in the 18th century couldn't believe how people did things in the 16th century. We can't believe how <laughs> people lived in the 18th century. And it's going to be yeah. the same in the 23rd century. And it's only until the the um, new alternative comes around that it just kind of clicks. But then the irony is people will never go back. Like people are never go people that have used crypto to send money are never going back to like traditional bank transfers and wires and things like that. Um, yeah. Especially when it becomes easy from a business perspective. Obviously, that's kind of the caveat today is if you want to do business, you're generally often in trade fi and you know, um, or traditional finance. Yeah, yeah. But like you and me sending money around, and especially if it's like a large amount or it's the middle of the night or whatever, it's like we're just gonna we're just gonna send a crypto transaction. We're never going back. Like no one's going back to you know, let me send you a wire, you'll get it in three days and I'm gonna pay a hundred dollars to send it. Yeah. I mean there I wanted to go back to something uh you said about um just how things have been done. Oh, the rails that we were built on. And I immediately went to Swift and the fact that just yeah, I mean, say what you will about Russia, but they had their entire bank reserves confiscated overnight just because they were on Swift. And I was like, wow, that was, I can't believe they got away with that. That was nuts. Yeah. Um, but I guess, crypto, guess who's going to own crypto from now on? Crypto solves all that. <laughs> yeah. Well, right. Like if yeah. you're, if you're a country and you feel suddenly like your financial system and your ability to do business globally might be at the whim of a, another country or political agenda, First thing you're going to do is build up a reserve that counters that. And yeah. you know, I'm not here to argue 
you know, the the pros and cons of each individual com- country being able to do that. I'm just saying th- that is that is that is a use case right there that they'll never forget, and they're never going back to being susceptible to that happening again. Oh yeah, that that mistake only happens once. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um. Well, let's see. Uh, I've got a couple of minutes here left, Mike. I mean, where where do you want to kind of? Wherever I mean, we got. It uh, seems like we have unlimited to talk about. We could always do a part two, but um, oh yeah, yeah, we could do a part two. Um, I've been meaning to try and get like a group discussion going with some of the people I've met. Maybe that would be a good thing to do. Because um, I have met a number. What's interesting about crypto to me, um, again, as an observer, is a lot of the managers I meet are basically my age, right? Uh, yeah. There, there's for sure some older ones out there, but. Uh, I think it's cool that a lot of the people I know, at least, are just, you know, young people out just going to get it and making a name for themselves in a new space. I think that's cool. So um, maybe I'll, I'll I'll think about putting together like a group thing here and see if we can pull that off. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. Um, let's see, where can uh, people find you if they're interested? Just reach out directly. Um, yeah, uh, Mike at MyCryptable.com. I'm also on LinkedIn. Mike Klein, and there's a bunch of my clients out there, as you may imagine. Um, but uh, you know, always glad to talk digital assets, um, and always glad to really talk to anybody about it. As I mentioned, it, it's um, it's welcomed. It's not a nuisance, for sure. Cool. Well, let's uh, let's leave it there. Thanks, everyone, and we'll we'll catch you soon. Thanks, Ben. Yep.